The subject for this weekend conference has been the will of God and the direction of the Lord's move. God's will is what God wants. And when God wants something, that is a great matter. Because ultimately, nothing will deter him. We know from Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, that God's will is the source of all that exists positively. That verse says, all things were created because of God's will. With God's will is his good pleasure, his heart's desire, his purpose, his counsel, that is his way to carry out his will, and his economy, his plan and arrangement to dispense himself into us. The direction of the Lord's move is actually the goal to accomplish his will. The direction has three aspects of one corporate organic reality. And the sequence is significant as we will probably see toward the very end of this message. The goal, the direction of the Lord's move is first to build up the organic body of Christ through the local churches as the procedure. The Lord said, I will build my church, and this is what he's doing in his heavenly ministry with which we need to cooperate. The building up of the body then actually becomes the preparation of the bride for the Lord's satisfaction and rest in love. When the Lord comes back for the believers, he will come as the bridegroom. So the bride must make herself ready but there is an ultimate direction, very much the center of our Lord's ministry when he was on earth. The third aspect of the direction of the Lord's move is to bring in the kingdom of God. And what we mean by bringing in the kingdom of God is described in the last five verses we read. First in Daniel, there's a picture of a stone cut from a mountain. It's cut without hands. This stone is Christ. And because Christ is coming with his overcomers, it is Christ with his victors. This stone will strike the feet of the great human image. That image portrays human government and all human kingdoms. Amen. 
When the Lord returns, he will defeat the enemy and he will abolish all forms of human government. Human government was established beginning with Noah in order to maintain a semblance of order on the earth. Otherwise, there would be more and more corporate rebellion like what was at Babel. So there is human government, which we respect and honor and live peacefully and righteously under, as long as we're not required to deny the Lord. Then we can submit, but cannot obey what an authority demands. But human government, because it's human, exalts man and rebels against God. And no matter what our political feelings may be, I think we have to admit in the last 10 years, 20 years, there's been degradation in our own country. What a mess, just what a mess. So the manifestation of the kingdom cannot coexist with human government because the kingdom coming in in manifestation in glory with the Lord is a government. So human government at that time will cease to exist The Lord's coming to bring in the kingdom will be the greatest change the earth has ever seen with respect to human existence. Money will be abolished so you may leave home without your American Express card. <laughs> so when money is abolished, there will be a radical transformation of the economy and of employment. There will be tremendous environmental change for the good. Deserts will blossom like gardens. War will cease. The weapons of war will be destroyed. Righteousness will prevail. The, the devil will be in the abyss. Amen. And the powers of the coming age will be activated by the co-kings to heal, to cast out demons. And according to the prophecies in Isaiah, if during that age someone dies at a hundred, others will lament so young. He died so young. This, I am fully assured, will actually happen. Amen. The Lord said it would happen. The Lord instructed us to pray for it to happen. His move is in this direction. To actually bring the Lord back and 
remove human government, defeat the enemy, then the stone becomes a great mountain filling the whole earth. That's the kingdom of God filling the earth. The king himself will be enthroned in Jerusalem. It is the overcomers as the co-kings that will reign with him all over the earth. So someone is going to get Phoenix, Tucson, Flagstaff. And it might be that in the millennium, the summers in Arizona might be more pleasant. <laughs> right? So when we come to bringing in the kingdom of God, we're touching a momentous matter. It's just a huge subject. But I'm not going to try in the hour or so that remains for the message to present a huge subject which leaves us all bewildered, but to focus on certain crucial matters, then in the light of those matters, we'll read through the outline. There are two proper meanings to the word kingdom as applied to God. The first is the kingdom is a realm where the will of the ruler is carried out without resistance. Even in a human understanding, there has to be a ruler, a queen, a czar, an emperor, a king, who has authority. This king then must rule over territory. So there must be land, part of the earth. But what kind of kingdom is it if there are no human subjects? You're not going to rule over, what's the pearl of cactus? Cactuses or cacti? Cacti. So a kingdom is a realm populated by human beings ruled over by an authority. Applied to God, the whole universe is his kingdom. He is the unique ruler. The universe, but especially the earth, is the realm. And everyone and everything on the earth are his subjects. This is what the kingdom will be when it's brought in. There were certain, uh, there, so when the Lord comes, he will inherit the whole earth. We know from Zechariah and from Matthew 20, he will be on his throne in Jerusalem. The original, the 12 apostles, the 12th one, who knows, is that Paul, is that the other one, will be on thrones with him. And there will actually be this kind of government on the earth. It will actually be. 
That is the kingdom as a realm with subjects and a ruler. There is a second meaning to the word kingdom, which in no way contradicts the first. It's in another realm, another dimension. When we speak of the plant kingdom, we don't have in mind a powerful plant dominating others. We mean the totality of the plant life with whatever plants do. Same with the animal kingdom. There's no powerful beast asserting himself, or let's be fair, herself. It's the totality of the animal life. Same with the human kingdom. According to this principle, that a kingdom equals a certain kind of life, the kingdom of God also is a realm of life. But in the beginning, the only one who had the life of this realm was God himself. So just as all those who have human life are part of the human kingdom, all those who have the divine life are part of the kingdom of God, but at first only God had the divine life. But his intention is, in his Son, to open the way for his chosen, redeemed, and regenerated people to enter into the realm of of the kingdom of God as a sphere of life. That's the significance of John 3. Sorry, many have been led astray by a misunderstanding. Except a man is born, again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the ungodly on the earth, they cannot see the kingdom of God as a realm of life. You speak about it to them, they are clueless. They, they are materialists. Essentially, America is a materialistic country, becoming increasingly so. So according to that philosophy, only physical things are real. There is no other reality. But making such a claim implies that you know all the reality there is in the universe, which is kind of an overstatement, wouldn't you say? But when we are born again, we can perceive in spirit a realm where God is. This kingdom of God is not heaven. We're not born again to go to heaven. We're born again to enter into God as the kingdom of God. And we know from Colossians 1, 12 and 13 that this kingdom is indescribably delightful, and pleasant because Paul calls it 
the kingdom of the Son of God's love. So you enter this kingdom, you enter an atmosphere filled with God's love for his Son. So the Son is there as the firstborn, but the Son has been reproduced in the sons. So now this love extends to all the sons, and it is a realm of love, of light, and of life. There's no fear here. And Paul says, God has transferred us out of the authority of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. This is the kingdom as a realm of life which we enter by birth. How did we all enter the human kingdom? We didn't apply for a green card. We were born into it. So actually, right now, we're all in the kingdom of God. Amen. When the Lord Jesus came, he came with the kingdom. He came for the kingdom. And he came as the kingdom. Let's begin with as. In Luke 17... He was responding to the questions of the religious ones. He said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. In other words, you cannot see it. Then he said, behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Well, who was in their midst? The one who said, in their midst. The Christ who was among them himself was the kingdom of God. Amen. He is living in the kingdom of God. The life in him is the life of the kingdom of God. He came with the kingdom of God that is with its authority to encounter the enemy and to deal with him. And eventually to crush him, to destroy him, and to judge his kingdom. That is why he cast out demons. In Matthew 12, he said, if I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come to you. So he came with the kingdom. In addition to coming as the kingdom. But there's a particular emphasis on the fact that he came for the kingdom. He came to minister, to teach, then to die and resurrect, all for the kingdom. So this is the sequence that needs to become clear to us. You look at Mark chapter 1, Matthew chapter 4. When the Lord Jesus began his public ministry, 
He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. This is urgently needed. And only those living in the kingdom can proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And one characteristic of living in the kingdom is oneness. Those who are living in a system of division are not living practically in the kingdom of God and cannot with integrity, with authenticity, proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. We have to be living in the kingdom, practicing the kingdom life, and then proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to the whole inhabited earth. This is what we're burdened to do in Europe. The gospel of the kingdom brings to the believers the life of the kingdom in John 3. So they receive the gospel of the kingdom. They're enlightened concerning their rebellion and lawlessness. And have a change of mind and recognize the government of God, the rulership of God. They receive the Lord as the Son of God and Savior. They are regenerated and they enter into the kingdom of God. This produces the church. The gospel of the kingdom with the life of the kingdom produces the church. And the church is the practicality of the kingdom. In Romans 14, Paul is talking about the body life and the church life, especially the receiving of the believers. And in verse 17, he says the kingdom of God is not eat and drinking. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the kingdom of God today is lived out in the genuine church life. Our Lord's teaching in Matthew 5 through 7 is directed at believers in the church. John, although he was on Patmos, writing to the seven churches, said in Revelation 1.9, I, John, your companion, your partner, in the kingdom in Jesus. So the gospel of the kingdom with the life of the kingdom produces the church. The reality of the church life, as expressed in hymn 9.42, is the life of the kingdom. The more we live the kingdom life in the church, the more we can and will be built up. Then the church may fulfill its primary commission. And that is to bring in the kingdom by bringing the Lord back. When the Lord established the table, his supper, he said, referring to the cup, 
I will no longer drink of the products of the vine until I drink it anew with you in the kingdom of God. The Lord's table that we observe every Lord's day is a bridge between the Lord's first coming and his second coming. We remember him and proclaim the effectiveness of his death. And we do this until he comes. Something amazing regarding this is spoken by our Lord in John 12. Oh, sorry, Luke 12. He is referring to the kingdom and the feast in the kingdom and having this table in the kingdom. He says that he himself, well, first he says, you will all be reclining there. And I myself will come forth and gird myself and serve you. Serve you in the kingdom. Much like he served breakfast in John 21. Now we are there. And he would say. Well done. You entered into my joy. I said I wouldn't drink of this. Until the kingdom. Now it's the kingdom. I'll drink it anew with you. Please let me serve you. I will serve you. Also in Luke 12, the Lord said, do not be afraid, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Amen. So the gospel of the kingdom, with the life of the kingdom, produces the church through the regenerated believers. Now, a genuine church is the practical kingdom life today. And the kingdom life is the reality of the church life. So we should be poor in spirit when we come to a conference. Pure in heart when we seek the Lord. Peacemakers among us. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. There are other characteristics that we may come to. Then as we are built up and testify the victory of Christ Jesus, our main responsibility is to open the way for the Lord to come back. This is the direction of the move. The body when built up is the bride. And then after this, we bring in the kingdom. Related to the kingdom of God as a realm of life, we'll see from the outline, but I want to mention it now. The Lord speaks of another kind of experience. I said he came for the kingdom and with the kingdom and as the king. 
in coming for the kingdom, how will he enlarge the kingdom from himself to millions of others? How will he do this? We read the verses in Mark 4, the kingdom of God, like a farmer who sowed seed into his field. And how it grew, he, he has no idea, but it grows and then he reaps it. That's a kind of general picture. When the Lord comes back, he will establish the kingdom with authority. But now he is establishing the kingdom inwardly by life. And the life itself will be the authority. So as we probably know, when the Lord came to establish the kingdom, he said, I'm a sower. The seed is the word. And he just sowed abundantly before thousands of people. He wasn't reasoning what kind of person is this, what kind of person is that. He didn't pick up one seed and drop it like this. He's just sowing, sowing. And eventually the seed would lodge into an honest heart. That's the good ground. It doesn't say a pure heart, an honest heart. Then the seed of the kingdom, which is the word, is himself embodied in this seed. So when you were regenerated, the seed of the kingdom entered into you. Not to lie fallow there, but to grow inside of you into a realm over which the Lord rules by life. This is what we call the reality of the kingdom. And the more we allow Christ as life to expand in our being, to go from our spirit, now the aim is to settle down in the heart, to go through the mind, the thinking, the concepts, the memories, the ideas, into the emotion, into the will. Christ increasing is the kingdom increasing in us. Until more and more our inner being, all of our inward parts are subdued. Not just defeated. Subdued. No resistance. The more this happens... In each one of us personally, the more the reality of the kingdom will become the content of the church life. In my travels for more than 22 years, I have visited and I have served empty local churches. Empty. Because starting with the leading ones, they don't have this view of the church. There's not the reality. The saints are not shepherded into this reality. I know, I know one place. 
We all care about this locality very much. We love the saints. Uh, a sister, why was a sister? I don't know. She sent out an email announcing, oh, we're going to have combined home meetings for eating and singing. Eating and singing. Because the concept is we're not getting into ministry. We're not getting into truth. Our church life is eating and singing. That's empty. But what is that? And so there is a personal side and a corporate side. The corporate side is always the issue of the personal side. So the personal side involves our having a life with the Lord in which we love him and open to him and apply the word in a living way with a desire that the Lord will grow in us and live in us. Now I come to something. We will need the Lord's covering because those to whom this is applicable, this is not a judgment. This is a care for you. When the Lord was teaching about the kingdom, he came to a matter concerning the anxiety of living our human life. The increased anxiety, how are we going to survive? Where are we going to have food? How am I going to pay for the mortgage? What about the economy? He said all the Gentiles, meaning the unbelievers, this is what they seek. And this is what the politicians are always talking about, the economy, the economy. Not North Korea, not Iran, the economy, the economy. Then the Lord said, not with you, not with you. Then he said this, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. The things you need. The Lord was, he worked as a carpenter. He was born in poverty. He was one of at least Seven children, he had four brothers plus sisters. We don't know the number of sisters. He knows what it is to be human. It's likely that Joseph died early on. But here's the situation. Many beloved brothers and sisters... ...have been and are being usurped by Pharaoh through their work. And there's something, a human need, or something in the natural life that makes them vulnerable. Just look at the picture in Exodus. As long as the people of Israel are enslaved to Pharaoh, laboring for him day and night, or at least constantly. God's desire for a building can never be fulfilled. 
They can be God's people. But they're God's people enslaved to Pharaoh. Okay, forgive me if what I will say now is something you'll dismiss as generational. You just don't understand the present situation. Maybe I don't. I really, maybe I don't. I'll just tell you the only way I know to live. I came into the church life in 1966, and I realized I'm a brother, an ordinary brother. I'm married. I need a job. That's a law. We have to work. That's a law. A lot of time and energy should be devoted to that. And I was very much helped by a pattern already established by many brothers my age. They're all in their 20s. Okay? We didn't have concept of young adults because there were only young adults around, with a few exceptions. And these brothers, a lot of them in Texas, they chose to become teachers for two reasons. Even though they won't get rich, they can support their family, but they got the whole summer for the conference and training. Amen. Brother Lee had a 10-day conference and a six-week training. And so all of us, basically that whole generation, the initial foundational generation, the only way we knew was to seek the kingdom first by seeking Christ and the church first. And we realized we have to have a job to support our family. But we will not be slaves to Pharaoh. We will not. And what I mean by a slave is not that if you're an accountant and it's tax season, you have to work extra hours or that there's a project or a need in your company your boss asks you to work extra time it's a job that has built in usurpation built into it and you place yourself under that usurpation you are finished with a practical kingdom life, you cannot stand before the Lord and say, I seek first the kingdom. The Lord said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And so, Brother Lee, late in the 70s, in speaking the life study of Genesis, made a major correction to the young people in California. It was much needed. Those in Taiwan were balanced already, not the Californians. Many of the young people thought the Lord Jesus is coming back very soon, so we should get simple jobs like cleaning pools and mowing lawns because we'll be raptured at any time. Um, 
I haven't observed anyone missing due to rapture since then. And Brother Lee, in speaking about the pillar builders, he corrected this. He said, this is absolutely wrong. You should get a very good, even the best education to develop yourself. Then he gave the illustration of the pillar builder, Hiram, who had a Tyrian father representing the world economy. And he learned so many things from his Tyrian father. Then the Tyrian father died, and somehow he got transferred from the tribe of Dan to Naphtali to be in resurrection. So Brother Lee's complete word was, <coughs> you, you, you get the highest and best education. Then your Tyrian father dies and you're brought into resurrection for God's building. Well, since then, going on 40 years, we really picked up the first part. It now governs the culture in the affluent countries. It governs it. Those from the Far East allow me to say, you were already governed by this. You didn't need the correction. So it's very rare for someone to do what our brother Luke, Luke in the Bible, did. He was a physician. There's reason to believe he was affluent. He could leave everything and become a co-worker and traveler with Paul. So basically, the mindset of the kingdom first, church life first. Lord, I need employment. I want to be a good employee. I need a proper level of living, but I won't sell myself. I am here for the kingdom. I am here for your will. Amen. Generally speaking, this is long gone. It's long gone. I realize in 50 years, a lot of complications, a lot of things different in the world system. I don't dispute that. But basically, it's a matter of our being. So I have to ask you. But don't answer to me, you're not liable to me. What is first? What are you seeking first? The Lord said, seek first. He said, seek. If you're passive, you're not seeking any of the divine things first. If you're passive, you're taken over already to some extent. Seek is active. The Lord covers me to say this. This is his mercy. There's nothing to do with me. It's his mercy. I seek the kingdom first. For my whole life, I don't know any other way to be. Seek first. Seek first. 
And all these things will be added to you. And I can testify they were added. I haven't referred to this for a long time. When we migrated from Chicago to Detroit, we rented Hertz trucks. And the main truck that had all of our possessions in it caught on fire. Didn't explode, it just consumed everything. It was all lost. Then I got to Detroit and I found out my teaching career, my professor promised me, if you're an English teacher, you will always find a job. Well, they evaporated during that period of time. So be, according to how I was trained by my parents to do honest work, physical work, for a while, I got a job, manual labor in a factory to take care of my wife and children. But I can testify, the Lord added the things in his way, in his time. So I have a house, which I rent. And I have a car, which I own. And I have clothes and food and health care. I just look to the Lord that he would shepherd all the dear ones, not come to them with a rod of iron. I'm not speaking to you with a rod of iron. There's a shepherding spirit here Amen. that the Lord would do something to go to the core of our situation and fulfill this word, seek first the kingdom. Okay, what are we seeking first when we seek first the kingdom? Okay, we're first seeking God's will. Because the kingdom is the realm where God's will is done. Okay? And God's will, practically speaking, equals the kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Right? They go together. So to seek first the kingdom is to seek first God's will as it pertains to you, as it pertains to everything in your life. And since the kingdom is Christ himself, to seek the kingdom is to seek our Lord Jesus as the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth and is everything to us. In Matthew 12, I mentioned this, the Lord cast out demons by the Spirit. So the kingdom is when the Spirit is prevailing. So we seek to experience the prevailing life and power of the Spirit. The kingdom of God is the seed of life growing in us. To seek first the kingdom is to seek the growth in life. Practically speaking, the kingdom is the church. To seek first the kingdom of God is to put the church life as the second priority. The first is Christ himself, Christ and the church. And everything else is subordinate. I repeat, at least for the third time, I, I've had to work. I've been humiliated because I migrated. I had the appearance of instability in work. 
It was due to following the Lord and seeking the kingdom first. And I went to one employment agency and he refused to take my case. Then when I got hired by the city with a very good job, you know, for a while I had just the feeling to call him up and say, uh, I'm making more now than you are. <laughs> but that's not Christ, that's the self. <laughs> I realize to the natural mind, this is impractical. So in question and answer sessions that I have in travels sometimes, I've been asked, what about balance? How do you balance? Okay, here's the balance. Seek first the kingdom. <laughs> and all these things will be added, okay? But to be fair to you and to the word, when you read the epistles, the practical epistles concerning the church life, like 1 Timothy, Paul says if someone does not provide for his own family, he's worse than an unbeliever. So Paul made it very clear, you have a responsibility. You provide for your family. Don't, don't depend on the church. So the word balances, but the Lord always gives the high requirement first. If you start reasoning, he'll just be quiet. If you say, Lord, I agree with you, amen, I'll seek the kingdom first. I will not be ruled by anxiety. Then the Lord, in the shepherding, he knows you need a job. You need lots of things. He knows. The Lord said the Father knows you need these things. So let me ask you tenderly, in practicality, are you a fatherless child in the Lord's recovery? Do you have a savior, but not a father? The certain things the son does, other things the father does. The Lord said the father knows that you need these things. Of course, parents have found out when their child really wants them <clears throat> to get something for them. They will say, I need it. Everyone else has one. I need it. But the discerning parents realize, you don't need it. You want it. <laughs> so the word doesn't say the father knows everything you want and will give you everything you want. If you want the gospel of everything you want, then go to the prosperity preachers in Christianity. If you want the truth concerning you have a father who loves you, who cares for you, and he knows you need these things. But he also knows it's not easy for us to believe this, so the son infuses the believing ability into us. But I have a father. And you have a father. And sometimes you need a fellowship with him. John said our fellowship is with the father and with his son. Father, you're the source. Amen. I have needs. I have needs, father. I'm lonely. That's one reason why I work so much. 
I can't bear to come home to a lonely, empty apartment. Well, why don't you work 40 to 50 hours and come home to an apartment with some saints over for a light meal, something like that. Or why don't you work and then seek first the prayer meeting and all these things will be added to you, okay? So I think you, you think we have the essence of the burden. So the Lord came as the kingdom, for the kingdom and with the kingdom, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The apostles in Acts continued to preach the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom releases the life of the kingdom into believers and therefore, thereby, the church is produced. Now, the church in its standing is the kingdom of God in practicality. But the reality of the kingdom is the reality of the church. We need to realize that we cannot be selective about being in the church like, oh, I like the church as the house. But I don't like a church as the kingdom. I don't like authority, I don't like responsibility, I don't like training and discipline. Well, it's all or nothing, right? The church is all in all the aspects that it is. And if we would see this and then just set it all before the Lord. Don't do anything rash, don't do anything out of a religious sense of guilt now. I reject religious guilt. It means nothing. You just go to the Lord just as you are right now, where you are right now, and bring this matter. Lord, what about Matthew 6, 33 for me in my situation? Father, you know what I need. You know how I feel. You know what is driving me. You know what's motivating me. And he would say, child, I know, I know. Are you willing to seek first the kingdom? By my grace, then I will show you, I will add all these things that you need, not you, what you want, okay? So you want a Mercedes, I will give you a Camry, <laughs> okay? You want a mansion, I will give you a house adequate for the size of your family. You want um, custom-made suits, I will provide suits from Joseph A. Bank online, okay? Just let him do it. So I leave that between you and him and we come to the outline and then I'll have a concluding word all in less than 25 minutes, maybe about 20. The direction of the Lord's move today is to bring in the kingdom of God as the spreading of the divine life. So this is the direction. It's not manifestation yet. It's the spreading of the divine life 
for God's eternal administration in the fulfillment of his eternal economy. So the direction of the Lord's move is to spread the divine life through gospel preaching, through the shepherding of the saints, through our pursuing the growth in life. The life must spread. Pray for this. Even if you can't quite touch Matthew 6, 33 right now, then just let it be for a while. But you can pray, Lord, grow in me. Spread the kingdom life in me. To the kingdom of God is Christ himself as the seed of life sown into us, growing in us, spreading in us, and maturing in us until there is a full harvest, the manifestation of the kingdom. There is one, um, I guess he's regarded as a scholar. There's some question about this. But he criticizes our teaching concerning the rapture. He said, Witness Lee and his followers, they believe in the partial rapture. Actually, that's not correct. We believe in a two-stage rapture, as portrayed by a crop growing. The Lord came to sow the seed in Matthew. Then in Revelation 14, you have a harvest. And first you harvest what's ready. That's the first fruits. And you harvest them by rapturing them. And then after another period of time, the rest of the crop is ready. Then you harvest that. That's this two-stage rapture. The point is, only when there has been growth to maturity will we be ready for the manifestation of the kingdom. The manifestation is the shining of the kingdom in glory. In Matthew 13, 43, the Lord said, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father." But the one shining like the sun is the Lord Jesus, but he's not the only one. We will be shining. That shining is the manifestation of something, of, a, of an inner reality. So in order for there to be a manifestation in the future, there must be an inner reality developing now. This is what we're seeking. And this is what our daily Christian life is for the increase of the reality of the kingdom by the growth in life. And there will be some real surprises. There may be, I'm speaking in principle, I'm not thinking of persons. There could be a co-worker. There could be an elder who is just enthralled by his position and activity and neglects the growth in life. And he won't be in the kingdom. And here's an ordinary brother, blue collar. Maybe he's a welder, a mechanic. Here's a mother who had to stop her university education. You know, longs to finish it once the children are old enough. She's a pneumatic mom. But these two, the blue collar worker, the pneumatic mom, as their situation allows, 
they set aside whatever time they have to really touch the Lord day by day. And a reality is expanding in them. So when they meet the Lord, the Lord would say, I'm going to manifest what has been growing in you. But if someone is empty, there's nothing to manifest. The Lord will have to say, I'll see you later. You'll be part of the manifestation tomorrow. Today, of course, today is a long day. It's a thousand years. So there needs to be the spreading of the divine life. To the kingdom of God is Christ himself. Is this, okay, we read that. A, the kingdom of God is actually the God-man, the Lord Jesus, sown as a seed into the believers and developing into a realm. Okay, that realm is inside of you. It's your heart. It's your soul. It's your mind, emotion, and will. It affects your decisions, your emotional reactions, your love, your thinking, your concepts, your views. A realm over which God can rule as his kingdom in his divine life. So this is how God rules in us. I recommend praying over him, 942. God's kingdom on the earth is now his sovereign government within. Two, Christ establishes the kingdom by sowing himself as the seed of life into believing people so that the kingdom may grow. I think we have a song, oh may it grow, oh may it grow, this kingdom seed, oh may it grow, right? It's absolutely a matter of the growth in life, not of our work. <clears throat> so you look at 2 Peter 1. Peter charts the progress of the growth in life, starting with faith, ending with love. Then he says, now you will have a rich entrance into the kingdom. This by life growing in you. Three, regeneration is the entrance into the kingdom of God. And the growth of the divine life within the believers is the development of the kingdom of God. There are, who knows, maybe tens of millions of regenerated people in this country. They're all our dear brothers and sisters. Wherever they are, we love them, we recognize them, we receive them. But very, very few have experienced any development at all. Some don't even know they have a spirit. They're told your spirit and soul are the same. They don't know what happened to them when they were regenerated. We need to give them on the booklet, you know, what is regeneration? And then to have the thought that they need to grow. They have the concept, everything is instant. As long as you're a believer, you can be any kind of person, you'll be raptured. They're being deceived. It's the system. Whenever we speak of Christianity, it's never the persons. It's the religious system that frustrates them from pursuing the Lord adequately. 
B, after this, <clears throat> after this seed has been sown into the believers, it will grow and develop within them into the kingdom of God, which is for the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose and also for their blessing and enjoyment. So you have a sense of fulfillment, purpose, enjoyment, and blessing in this realm. <clears throat> this is the inner feeling from the Spirit in the midst of whatever is happening to you. I've asked a question from time to time, as I do now, concerning Philippians. And the question is, when Paul wrote that epistle saying, Rejoice in the Lord, again I say rejoice, was he joyful or sorrowful? Well, it's easy to say, oh, surely it's the epistle of joy. Some preachers call it that. Well, surely, he said, Rejoice in the Lord. But in chapter 2, you talk about a brother, Epaphroditus. He said, you, you heard he was ill. And he was, unto death. He was sick unto death. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. So now I am less sorrowful. So our life can be like this. We're complicated in our soul. We can't deny this. We go through sometimes horrendous things. How can the soul not suffer? We're human. How can we not have sorrow? But on another level, deep within, we sense in our spirit, we're one with God, we're in the realm of the kingdom. We are for his purpose, the fulfillment of his purpose. There is blessing and enjoyment. And deep within we sense, I'm in the kingdom of the son of God's love. Amen. So sometimes in the past year, saints would ask, how are you? I said, I am really okay in this complicated situation. Not a superficial okay. Now we have a turn to the manifestation. The coming of Christ will be the opening of the eternal kingdom of God. Hence, Christ's coming will be the landmark. Oh, what will they be saying on CNN? Oh, when he's coming like the son of righteousness. I don't know how many from CNN will still be around if they take the mark of the beast and worship his image, you know. There'll be some. I'm not, I'm, I'm not targeting CNN. I lambaste all the media, okay? <laughs> you know, as far as distorting things. But eventually, the whole earth is going to know he's coming for us like the morning star. But when he comes publicly, it says the son of righteousness, the whole earth will know. No more atheists. What are you going to do now? The I am has come. And he's come with a huge army of co-kings that have a rod of iron. They're going to subdue the whole earth. It'll take a few centuries to get everybody in line. 
Oh, I want this to happen, don't you? In God's economy, Christ, by his coming appearing, will smash and crush the aggregate of human government and establish the eternal kingdom of God. You won't just come and push it over. The stone will target the feet because that's the final manifestation in Europe of the Ten Kings. When he hits the feet, the whole image crumbles, then it's blown away like chaff. Ah, I want to see this firsthand. I don't want to hear about it in eternity. I want to see it. The great image will be replaced with a great mountain. Oh, okay. I'm just using these names because they're well known. I'd just be so glad not to have to hear Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Maxine Waters anymore. No more Rush Limbaugh, no more Mark Levin, nobody. Nobody. All the talking heads are subdued. The whole system is gone. The kingdom of God is here. This means that after Christ comes in to crush the aggregate of human government, he will usher in the eternal kingdom of God on earth. The goal of the divine history within the human history is to have the corporate Christ, because that's the stone, the corporate Christ, Christ with his overcomers as the crushing stone to be his dispensational instrument to end this age and to become a great mountain, the kingdom of God. So also in this process, the Lord will stonify you, make you a living stone, living and weighty. It's not going to be a gigantic feather. It's going to be a corporate stone that will smash The image. During the church age, Christ is building up the church, the body, to be his bride. And he will return with his overcoming bride as the smiting stone to crush the aggregate of human government and usher in the age of God's dominion over the whole earth. The great human image will be replaced with a great mountain signifying the eternal kingdom of God which will fill the whole earth. This means that after Christ comes to crush the aggregate of human government, he will usher in the eternal kingdom of God on earth. Now I'd like to give you four terms and explain the sequence. The body, the bride, the army, the stone, the mountain. When the Lord comes back, he will come for the bride. The building up of the body is the preparation of the bride. So everything hinges on the building up of the body. That's the preparation of the bride. This must happen in this age, which is close to its end. 
Then the bride will be raptured. Then in three and a half years, the following will happen. While the great tribulation is going on the earth, the bride and the bridegroom are enjoying their wedding, their wedding day, the beginning of it. And the Lord will gradually descend in the cloud with us. But at a certain point, the bride will become the army. Because Israel's situation will be hopeless, the armies from the rising sun, from the Gog and Magog, from the European Antichrist, they're all converging there. No trace of an American presence. American may be the home, as it should be, of the refugees, of the persecuted ones, to be the desert. That may be the case. So now the bride becomes the army and comes with the commander-in-chief, defeats Antichrist and his armies, then the army becomes the stone that crushes the human image. Immediately, the stone becomes the mountain that fills the whole earth. So once the body is built up and the bride is prepared, there will be the rapture. Then in three and a half years, after the travail, the tribulation will be like the travail and birth to bring forth a new age. The Lord will come with the army, with the stone for the kingdom. The sequence is body, bride, army, stone, mountain. Amen. If we proceed backwards, if we want the mountain, the kingdom filling the whole earth, we must first have the stone. In order to have the stone, we must become the army. Since the army is really the bride, we have to be the bride. But the bride depends on the building up of the body. We do not know, we do not presume to know when this time sequence will begin. But it's, to me, more likely than not that those in this room under 40, you may live to see all these world events. You may live to see the Temple Mount cleared. You may live to read about the covenant between Israel and the European leader. You may live to observe the building up of the temple because all that will take place before the tribulation and the first fruits are raptured just before the tribulation. Some of us that were born earlier you know, our days may not extend to that time, but I'm not giving up on rapture just yet. <laughs> but this is the sequence. And these events, they will happen. And so now, all five matters should be developing in us. Okay, the body, the building up of the body by the growth in life. The preparation of the bride in the way we described last night. Then this bride is the army. So we're learning to engage in warfare, mainly by praying and praising. 
then there has to be a stone. So the Lord wants to add weight to our being, to make us living stones. So no more do you have living feathers among the young and dead stones among the elderly. We'll all be living stones. And since the mountain is the kingdom, we want the reality of the kingdom. You see, all of this is immediately applicable. All of this can be worked out in our daily living. Okay, D. If as God's people we see the controlling vision of the image in Daniel 2, we will be kept from the world. That's why in my soul, I don't allow my soul to be drawn into political things. I just observe and pray for God's will to be done. Because I'm governed by this vision. It doesn't depend on whom God puts in the Oval Office. That's up to his sovereignty. Daniel said he put the lowest kind of persons there. We will be kept from the world and prepared for Christ's coming as the smiting stone, which will crush the aggregate of human government and become a great mountain, the eternal kingdom of God filling the whole earth. The increase of the stone into a great mountain signifies the increase of Christ and his administration to be the kingdom of God. The church is Christ's increase in life, but the eternal kingdom of God is Christ's increase in administration. So we have emphasized much as we should, the increase of Christ is life. But now in seeking the kingdom first, the kingdom must increase in us as administration, Amen. as administration. The Lord might lead you as he's shepherding you to have some time with him and you present every important aspect of your life, your health, your family, your need to be married, your marriage, your financial situation, your job, and just say, Lord, I present all of this to be under your administration. Amen. I want every part of my life to be in the kingdom. I invite you in. You will bring in peace, love, light, life, righteousness, order. Hence, Christ is not only the church, but also the kingdom. As the stone, Christ is the centrality of God's move. And as the mountain, he is the universality. He is the all-inclusive one, the one who fills all in all. So God has a will, and that will is to have a people to be his corporate expression and to represent him with his authority. He wants an eternal marriage with a beautiful bride who can reign with him in the new heaven and the new earth, fulfilling Genesis 1.26. So the direction is for the fulfillment of God's will to build up the body, to prepare the bride, and to bring in the kingdom. What we've tried to do is to help us see how this intersects with our present human and spiritual situation. Amen. Let's look to the Lord to come to him just as we are, where we are, and tell him, I am one with you for the body 
the bride, and the kingdom. Amen. Praise the Lord.